Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. On today's episode of the ISO with Dan Dickow and SB Live Sports on the Believe Podcast Network, we are releasing a previous conversation with Jay Billis that we released on our Scorebook Live Washington YouTube channel in December of 2019, where Jay Billis and I sat down and talked about experiences that he had in his career, all the way from youth basketball up to his current role as the most prominent college basketball broadcaster for ESPN. Take a look, take a listen. Glad to have you with us. The ISO with Dan Dickow and SB Live Sports, brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Dan Dickow, Scorebook Live, here with college basketball analyst Jay Billis from ESPN, here spending some time in the Scorebook Live offices in Spokane, getting a chance to talk about a number of things basketball related. First off, Jay, I wanted to ask you about your experiences as a high school player in Rolling Hills. Looked at um, a little bit of your bio, your background. Literally won every award, had a chance to play at Duke after your high school career. But tell us a little bit about the high school experience growing up in Southern California. Yeah, I grew up in, a, in an area called Rolling Hills, which is on the Palos Verdes Peninsula. And, you know, grew up in a, in a family where I had an older brother who was a big-time athlete. And so I always, he's seven years older, and I always wanted to be him. And so when I got to high school, you know, I played basketball fourth through eighth grade on a team. It was called a conference team. We traveled all over Southern California and played. So I didn't play in the normal kind of, you know, go up to your high school and play, you know, play on the Lakers versus the Celtics <laughs> thing when you play, you know, on Saturdays. We played, we practiced two, three times a week, and then we played in tournaments all over Southern California. So I had a lot of experience playing. Maybe not as much as I needed of fundamental stuff that, that you get. But I was really lucky. I had a great uh, sort of junior coach named Dick Spidell. And he was the only coach I had until I got to high school. And he was, he was so good. Um, all we did was compete. And that's all he cared about was, was you compete to win. And I think he taught me a lot about the game. But more than that, he taught me how to, how to fight you know, and compete. And then when I got to high school, you know, I went from being – you know, at, at uh, uh, an elementary school, junior high school that didn't have any sports at them. You know, it wasn't like in California then you didn't have a school team. You know, you played for, you know, another another entity, and there wasn't a lot of AAU back then. Uh, so when I got to high school, it's like 2,500 students, and it's really big, and I really didn't know, like, how good I was. And, you know, I, I remember asking my, my junior coach, Coach Spidell, um, you know, do you think I could make the team? Mm-hmm. And he said, you know, I'll never forget this. He told me, make the team. He goes, you're going to be the best player this high school's ever had. And I was like, what? And I, I had no idea. And that's the first time I started thinking about myself as a good player, that I knew I could be as good as my friends, but I, I didn't know, holy cow, you know, this yeah. guy thinks I can, I can be good. And I started expecting more. And so I went, when I went to high school, then I started taking, you know, I, I started going, okay, well, I'm going to be, you know, I didn't say this, but I, sure. I, in the back of my mind, I'm like, I'm going to be the best player that's ever played here. And I started carrying myself that way. Hopefully not as a jerk, <laughs> but, but, you know, as yeah. a confident player. And that was a huge thing for me because I'd never been told anything like that before. 
even by my parents. You know, my parents had a very healthy fear of my failure. And so they, you know, they were always saying, come on, you know, you're yeah. not that good. You need to do this or do that. And they were always worried about school. You know, am I going to take care of what I'm supposed to do? Uh, so I never got that feeling uh, of, of supreme confidence from them. So when I went to high school, that, that was a big, a big deal. And I, but I got to play. I was really lucky that my high school teammates were the same guys I played with from fourth grade through eighth grade. I, I literally had the same team from fourth grade all the way through high school. And I don't know who has that, except it's if rare, you, especially if you these grow days. up in Hoosiers, yeah. you know, like <laughs> if you're in that movie, maybe you play with the same guys your whole life. But that was, that was something that I didn't realize at the time, how cool that was. And that was a big, big part of, of, uh, sort of being good. I think was, was having that stability. You mentioned your youth coach, Dick Spidell, really believing you and challenging you. Uh, I think that's so important this day and age is that coaches instill a, a belief in kids. You transition now to high school. Is there any particular memories of your high school coach that uh, kind of stand out as far as impacting you um, to prepare you for a great high school career and then moving on to Duke? Yeah, but it was more on the negative side, honestly. <laughs> um, I had a really bizarre uh, run of coaches in high school. Uh, really, as I mentioned, a really big high school and there was a lot going on. We had a freshman team, a sophomore team, JV and varsity. And so I played JV as a, as a freshman. And, uh, and so I had a really good coach and, and really enjoyed it. But the one thing I didn't enjoy was being separated from my friends. So I'm playing with a bunch of juniors. And you know how that is. At that age, yeah. the difference between a freshman and a junior, those guys might as well have been 30 and <laughs> you know, having a yeah. drink after the game. Um, they, we did not, I had no idea how to act or how to deal with those guys. And so that was difficult. But then when I made, when I became a varsity player, um, we, I had three varsity coaches, uh, got, one of them got fired. Uh, another one took the job so he could slide it to another guy. When he retired, it was the craziest thing. But the, the coach that ultimately got the job, and I played for when I became a junior and senior, when you're in high school, you know, those are your years. Yeah. Everything builds toward being a junior. Nobody cares what you do as a freshman, sophomore. Yeah. Um, I played for a coach that was not – he just wasn't good. And, uh, and it wasn't that he wasn't good X's and O's. It was difficult. And so uh, I didn't enjoy playing for him, and it was a, a negative experience. The only positive was we were really good, and I, I was with my friends. Um, but it really – playing for him made me realize how important my decision was to play in college, that uh, I needed to pick the coach. Like, I wasn't picking a school, and, and I, uh, there's part of me that regrets that, but I didn't have a choice. I was going to pick the guy I wanted to play for because that was the most important thing to me. Sure. And I figured he, that that person would be at the school I wanted to be at, that that would, that would match up. But if I wasn't – I wasn't happy in my basketball life in high school – uh, and I wasn't going to allow that. It's the only time you get to choose. Like I got no, I had no choice in who I played for until I made my decision on college. And the really negative thing about, about all that, like I was fine because, you know, some of my teammates, we were all good enough to play in college, but the overwhelming majority of my high school teammates, that was their last experience in organized basketball. And it scarred them. Like it scarred me too, but I was able to kind of have sure. better experiences later but I always bring that up when I speak at coaching clinics is, is you, need to, you need to think about how you want your players to be affected by how you conduct yourself. And 30, 40 years later, how are they going to remember you? 
And this may not be appropriate, but I'm going to tell you anyway. My, my high school teammates and I had a reunion recently. So we all got together and brought our wives. And, you know, I, I, I remember driving back. Uh, my wife and I were staying in, in Southern California at the time for a month. And I remember driving back to where we were staying. I was saying, hey, I'm you know, sorry to drag you into that. You know, you had to listen to us talk about how great we were when we were seven, <laughs> 17 years old. And she said, no, I really enjoyed it. And so I, I asked her, well, what stuck out to you? And she said, well, what really stuck out was how close you guys still are and how scarred you are by your, your coach. And she goes, you all need therapy. <laughs> and I thought she was joking. She goes, I'm not kidding. Like, you guys, that would, all of you talked. Uh, you didn't realize you were doing it, but everything went back to how negative that was. And then she, she had said that, did anybody think to call him and invite him? And we didn't. Not one person thought about doing that. And afterwards, I'm like, what a shame that that was. Because most of us have gone on and done things in the game that we could have had him there. You know, like invite your coach to the Final Four. Mm -hmm. Never did. And never even thought about it. And it wasn't a, you know, I'll show you thing. Yeah. It was the relationship wasn't good enough to warrant that. And that's a shame. Yeah. Like that, that, so when, if you're a high school coach, you know, you should be thinking about that. That you know, we're always saying we're always talking about only two percent of players ever go on to college, or only X percent ever go on to be pros. Okay, you know, okay, if that's true, then as a high school coach, isn't your obligation to make that experience great? For sure. You know, the 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 good players or the best players, they'll be fine. At the, the they'll be fine at the next level. Teach them how to play. Teach them how to be great teammates, and make sure your environment is is a great experience yeah that's so big because with scorebook live and what we do we talk to high school coaches all the time and you can tell the certain coaches that check all the boxes right. knowledge of the game teaching of the game as well as impacting players um so that's a very powerful message you mentioned though when you had a chance to finally choose who you played for coach shisheski one of the greatest coaches of all times what stood out to you most about him when you were in high school? Because I think one of the problems in college basketball these days is kids are making decisions 16, 17 years old. You don't know the full lay of the land and what is expected of you yet. You don't know maybe how to conduct yourself as an adult. But you made a great choice. What stood out about Coach K? He was very honest and straightforward, and he got to know me and my situation, my family. He, he, had, he had a... He had an attention to detail in the relationship side of it that not everybody had. And I came down, I think I mentioned I was more interested in a coach than a school, so I came down to four coaches I wanted to play for. Uh, coach K was at Duke, Jim Beheim at Syracuse, uh, Lute Olson at the time was at Iowa, that's how long ago this was, and then a guy named Ted Owens, uh, who was a great coach at, at Kansas. And so those were my four final four schools. And it really came down, like Coach K was the least accomplished of all of them. He'd never been to an NCAA tournament, uh, had a losing record at Duke at the time, and they were they were in bad shape, and uh, and I didn't care about any of that stuff. Uh, I I really liked him, and really thought that okay, this is going to be the best thing, and I had very little knowledge. I, I understood Duke a little bit, but I had very little knowledge of what I was getting and what I was getting into. Uh, but uh, just just the fact that I really liked him, and. Uh, and I, I thought a lot about it. And you know how it is. I mean, when you, when you and I, we probably were exactly the same. You go on your visits, you come home, you're going there. Yeah. And then, and then the smoke clears a little bit, and then you can make a more 
uh, more clear-headed decision. And it always came back to, I like him. I like him the best. And it wasn't that I didn't like the all, you know, three of the guys of my final four in the Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame. Pretty impressive I list. Mean, yeah. <laughs> and, and, but I didn't know that yeah. at the time. Because this was 1981, 1982, and, and then and then Ted Owens, you know, multiple Final Fours, and is in the College Hall of Fame. I mean, it's it's ridiculous how lucky I was the the guys that that recruited me. Obviously, you had success at Duke um, as a player. Um, then you went on to become an assistant coach, and now you're a broadcaster. But one of the most interesting things I think that I've seen that you do is is you, you become an author. You wrote the book Toughness, and in talking about high school sports. Um, many parents can have a bigger impact than they realize in supporting their kids in the right way. And you had a couple of things in your book um, talking about the support your parents gave you in your high school career. What is a perfect or, or what is a proper role for parents at the high school level? That's a good question. I don't know that I know the answer to that. I know what I see, you know, in the camp that I run and, you know, all the, all the things that, that both you and I do out there. You know, you see parents and then, you know, I've been a parent myself and and shepherded my boy through the AAU process which wasn't easy and he was a walk-on just graduated from Wake Forest and and was a walk-on there for Danny Manning you know first and foremost is support is is you know you want to support your child in whatever they want to do but you also have to help them you know make the right decisions The, the hardest thing now is the specialization part of it in my judgment that you know when I was a kid you played whatever sport was uh, in season, and year-round basketball was on you. Like, mm-hmm. if you wanted to play year-round, then you, you, you hauled your butt to the playground with a ball under your arm, and you played. That was on you. There, you didn't have the opportunity to play year-round back then. So everybody played. We all played basketball. We all played baseball. Uh, and we all went to summer school so that we could uh, take P.E. and practice with our teams. Um, and we played – our high school teams played together – in, in high school summer league as opposed to traveling around as much. Now you feel like you're being left out if you're not traveling as much. And, uh, you know, on your AAU team, you feel like you're falling behind. Yeah. And everybody's got individual coaches now. And so when my kid was going through it, he would go to these individual work sessions. And because of liability reasons, everything's one on O. So you're dribbling through cones and doing finishing. And, you know, you got all these, you know, they, they study NBA players so you're doing, you know, you're doing Kobe Bryant counter moves and mm-hmm. uh, progressions and all this stuff. And you know, I wound up coaching my son's AAU team. And I remember we played against this one really good team, and you know, they were denying entry passes and really pressuring the ball. And I remember calling a timeout. I go, "Why didn't you use your little Kobe series there? <laughs> Come on, man, run through your seven-step progression and do your Kobe move. Like it's a lot different out here. Yeah, like you got to move without the ball and get your work done before you catch it. Like why don't you do something before you catch it?" And so you're trying to, to undo what's been done. And you do nothing but individual work. At the end of it, you get an individual. So how can you put your, your kid in a position where they're going to learn that it's a five-person, it's a, it's a five-man team game out there? Mm-hmm. And you know, not everything is going to happen after you catch it. And how many players are there, like in, in your basketball life, how many players did you play against that could operate, that, 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 that could – do whatever they wanted after they caught it. Yeah, I mean, it's very few. I mean, very I look few. at the fact that you always have one guy typically that stands out on a team. Uh, regardless of how good the team is, that's the guy. And then maybe two supporting guys, and then everyone else kind of fills in a role mm-hmm. as a blend guy. Um, but you're right in the fact that so many things are, are set up for success in workouts, 
And you mentioned the word compete. If it's not easy, kids that it's, at times don't know how to compete. So people, the co- coaches that can teach the kids the skills and how to compete is huge. Yeah, and, and if you're good, people are going to find you. Yeah. Like the, the, the guys in college, they're not idiots. They see it all. And so if you're really good, you're going to be found. So the idea that you have to get all this exposure, um, you know, a lot of times what guys do is get exposed is they want exposure and then they get exposed that they, they can't play the level that they think they can. And so this is supposed to be fun. If it's not fun, then you're making a huge mistake. And if you're not enjoying the experience of it, you're making a huge mistake. And like I had a guy come up to me at my camp. It could have been a nicer guy, dad, and was talking about his son saying, you know, we, we need to get him more exposure. We need to get him seen. I go, where do you live? And he said, we live in Washington, D.C. I go, your son's been seen. Yeah. Like, you know, you don't live in Fargo, so, you know, Fargo, South Dakota, you know, whatever it is. For Fargo, North Dakota. <laughs> uh, you don't live, you don't yeah. live there. You know, it's not like you're, you're living in a remote area. Um, you know, there, there are some times when you're, you're just, you're good, not great. You know, do you want to play in college? Is that a goal? Is it something worth pursuing? Or is it something you're putting all your self-worth into? That's the problem I have with it is, is just the numbers don't warrant all this. If, if I were to run a camp for uh, high-achieving students and, and I was sitting in there saying, I think your son or daughter can be a Rhodes Scholar. I think most of the parents would go, come on, man. <laughs> come on. Yeah. But, they're all, they're, they're, but, but if you tell them your son or daughter can get a scholarship and play Division One basketball, they're all going, yep. Like, how could, how could people be such lame consumers in that regard? Um, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. Well, I think a lot of it's the excitement of athletics right. and college, the ability to maybe play in college. Um, and get a break on admissions. <laughs> True. Seriously, that, yeah, that's, that that's one of the biggest issues is, is most parents are looking at this saying, well, wait a minute, if my son or daughter plays, they get a better shake from an admissions office and they can get a better cut of school. Um, so it, it's, it's, a more difficult, um, it's a more difficult landscape to navigate, especially when you, don't, you, know, you haven't been through it before. Yeah. Um, but I, my thing with, to parents would be quit worrying about it. Like your kid's talent is going to take him, him or her, where to their level, and you need to think about what environment you're you're putting your kid into. So if you're looking at a school and you're thinking only about basketball, um, you should be thinking about more than that. First of all, you should be looking at at the players that are there and have been there. Like what locker room are you putting your kid into? Because if you put your kid in a locker room full of knuckleheads, don't be surprised when a knucklehead knocks on the door to come home for Christmas. You know, that's that's yeah. going to be the way it is. And so uh, an environment and, and how your kid's going to grow and be beyond basketball is going to be way more important than the basketball itself. That's not, and I'm going counter to what I said I looked for. Yeah. But uh, but I the truth is I got lucky. And uh, and it wasn't that I wasn't paying attention to any of that stuff. But but uh, I think you have to be especially when, when you're looking at all these different places now. And for, for the overwhelming majority, they're, they're looking to get in. Yeah. Well, don't just, take, don't just take the one that says, well, hey, you can play here. Um, well, yeah, I can play there, but do I want to be there? Well, I think that's so valid for so many people in their decision-making process because if you're a five-star kid, regardless of where you live, 
northwest corner of the, of the country in Washington or, or Florida, wherever, teams are going to find you. But if you are kind of that middle of the road guy that just wants to play high school bas or excuse me college basketball, what are some of the determining things that besides what you just mentioned that the parents need to mentor and the coaches need to mentor those kids to look for? Because there's nothing wrong being at a lower level school if you have a great experience for four years as opposed to, to maybe transferring after a year. Yeah, I think the first and foremost, you have to you have to make a, a clear eyed decision on on what do I want out of this? Do I want to be do I what do I want to do and what where do I see myself in the future? Uh, and and look for the school that's the best fit, the school that's the best fit. And the basketball work out. Um, now, it's not that it's unimportant. It's really important. So just for example, my son, who was uh, – he'd probably kill me for saying this. My son was a Division II uh, talent and would have been a, a good Division II player. But he wanted to play Division One and playing in the ACC or – uh, the Big 12 or the Big 10, the places where he was he was recruited as a preferred walk-on, he he probably wouldn't play very much, if at all. And so he'd have to say, okay, I'm I'm in this for something different sure. than playing time. So if his happiness was attached to being out on the floor and being a relied upon player, well then Division Two is where he needed to go. But then you have to look at well if if you're going to go to Denison College in in Ohio, do you want to be there? Is yeah. that somewhere you want to be? He chose. He he would rather have been at Wake Forest, and he understood. I'm probably not going to play here, but I can contribute. And he wound up being captain of the team, and and you know playing a nice role in the program. And he was really happy. And so for him, that was the right decision. Uh, you know, for like for you, you, you were you had your choice of things. And so when 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 you get to say, when you got 200 schools recruiting you, mm -hmm. and you get to say, eh, no, I'll take this one, this one. Yeah. Most people don't get that. Yeah. You know, we were lucky. And so that's a totally different deal. When you're choosing, uh, most people are searching and trying to find the fit. And that's, that's way more difficult. And so it requires uh, a little more uh, thought. And it also requires the parents to uh, really help the kids so it's not a, uh, it's not a crusade. You yeah, know, that that your self worth isn't wrapped up with what school you go to because it really doesn't matter. I mean, it matters, but it really it's not the big. Like I, I used to have to tell my kid, "All right, we can do this in any way you want, but let, let's take a look at like CEOs mm -hmm. of major corporations. Any pattern as to where they went to school?" And the answer was no. Yeah, you know there was no pattern. It wasn't like they were all Ivy Leaguers or you know they they were all over the place, and and so you can you can do a great job and have a, a, a fulfilling experience at most anywhere you go. I think that's such a powerful message uh, in finding a place that fits you as a person, mm -hmm. not just as what you think you are as an athlete. You know, if we can transition for a second to, to college athletics, because I know you've been uh, uh, a critic of the NCAA at times, and having you in our office, it'd be hard not to let you go without asking the question college athletes and the time demands that they have and, and the, the school demands they still aren't being paid what in your opinion is the breaking point or how is this fixed yeah I don't know I don't know exactly how it's going to go but I think we are reaching a point or have reached a point where uh, something's going to break through so now that we have the the legislation in California uh, on name image and likeness and now that Congress is getting heavily involved uh, the NCAA can't stonewall anymore. Um, 
you know, when I, I played in the 80s, and when I played, you know, my coach probably made between fifty and a hundred thousand dollars a year back then. Uh, it's the same guy, and he's making about nine or ten million now. Um, the money has exploded, and the demands have exploded. Uh, you know, I don't know how many how many nine o'clock games you played because you're you're younger than me. But I was asked recently about the Duke Carolina rivalry. Somebody said, "Well, how did you break up the day? You know, and try to try to." Uh, deal with the day playing a, a late game and i said i never played a late game against north carolina yeah. you know i never i never i never played against north carolina when it was dark outside we we played at one o'clock on a saturday and the whole landscape was different back then and i thought players should have been paid then um so when you think about what these players are going through in every sport you have to ask well wait a minute why is this why are we saying no to their ability to monetize their name, image, and likeness or their ability to make money from their school if, if the school is so pleased? And especially when literally every other student is allowed to make money while they're in school and they can make money off what, whatever chosen field of endeavor mm -hmm. they have. The only one that's limited in any way is an athlete. And I think we've passed the, the point where this is acceptable, where, where there's so much money being made. And, you know, even, even Gonzaga, which – I have no problem with anything Duke does, Gonzaga does, UCLA, whatever. That's fine. Those are their decisions. I trust them to make their decisions. But Gonzaga is a different place now than when you went to school here. Absolutely. And you're a big reason why. You help generate the revenue that helped lead to this. But I think if, 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 you, if Gonzaga was being run then like it is now, your experience would have been totally different. Yeah. I'm not saying it would have been a lesser experience. But it would have been totally different. Completely. And, you know, the players now have more on their plates. Um, I think they deserve the right to share in, in the business. And if an individual school doesn't want to do that, just like they would with, with uh, how they pay their coaches and administrators, you know, Gonzaga doesn't have to – they don't have to pay Mark Few what they're paying him. They could choose to pay less. Um, but they're, they're making those choices. They can make the same choices with – I don't know how many employees they have, but say they have – 15,000 employees. Mm -hmm. Duke has 30,000. They're not sitting up at night going, what do we do? I mean, how do we pay all these different people? They all have different roles. We can't figure it out. We don't want to cause fights in the, in the, you know, among our employees. Or everybody works hard. You know, they don't do that. They know what to pay everybody. Yeah. It's not that hard. And they know what to pay the athletes. They know whom to recruit and whom to put in the game when they want to win. They know exactly what everybody's worth. And so if, if we shouldn't worry about this as much as we do, it's really not that hard. But I do understand why the NCAA doesn't want to do it. I just am very disappointed that they can't state a principle that, that everything's based on. They can't say, well, amateurism provides this, this, and this, and we're going to stick with it. it the, the, the explanation moves and the justification moves every, every time there's a challenge. Right now it's, well, we have, to, we have recruiting we have to deal with. This is not the Olympics where mm -hmm. your passport determines who you play for. That's not what they said six months ago. Sure. That's not what they said a year ago. It's not what they said 20 years ago. So they move the goalposts all the time, and that's the, the one of the more disappointing things. So with this college basketball season kind of being as wide open up in the air for somebody to kind of make that move and be the true number one team in the country, if by chance college athletes were able to be paid and some of the guys who are on the fringe maybe stay in college, how much would that strengthen college athletics? I think it would help a lot. One, it would be – more honest like right now i'm not saying it's dishonest but it's disingenuous and uh, i i think i think if if you have really good players you're never going to keep lebron james in school 
when there's that kind of that kind of payday for for him or people like him uh, outside of college athletics. But uh, you know, it's funny that they find money to pay the coaches, so where they're not jumping to the NBA every five seconds. You know, it's not like it's a bigger payday in the NBA. Um, it's a bigger payday in college, and and so we would have opportunities for players say, you know what, this is a this is a great deal. Uh, I'm pursuing my education. I'm getting taken care of very well, and I'm making money to where I can, I can wait, and and make sure that I'm fully formed on and off the floor to to start my career after after the college level. Uh, I don't think that would be such a bad thing, and it would give more stability to the college game rather than less. Uh, it would also help take care of the transfer problem. Yeah. Because if you're, you know, if you have a contract, you know, if you if Dan Dickow has a, con- a three-year contract to play at Gonzaga, you're not leaving you know, without out. sitting out. You can't get out of it without sitting out. Uh, they could. I don't know what the state laws are here in uh, in Washington, but uh, you know, this, a lot of states allow uh, non-compete provisions. There are certain things you you could do in that regard. So I think it would help. The other thing that w- that I think basketball has to do. And we've been reluctant to do it because of the success of the NCAA tournament. Is is it has to be of similar size to college football? That there has to be a division where whatever the number is, 120, 150 institutions that that compete on the same level. And when you start thinking about uh, rosters in basketball, just like in anything, players would want to pay, uh, play. The best players would want to play in the top division. Mm-hmm. So it's just math. You would have uh, more talent spread out over fewer units. And so you'd have deeper teams that would be able to uh, absorb a transfer. And then you'd have better competition. Because right now, there's no way that any rational person could say that we have, uh, we have competition among 350 uh, schools. We don't. Yeah. You know, th- there's no way. that w- We have 150 that are competitive, and everybody else are not. Now, does that mean they can't pull an upset once in a while? Of course they can. But but just because Evansville beats Kentucky doesn't mean they're competitive with Kentucky, because you know Ev- Evansville hasn't been winning since then. <laughs> true, and and that's true of most upsets. They happen in every sport, and they would happen more often in football. But football doesn't play those games. Mm-hmm. And it, you know, if you did the math on football and looked at at the top teams, they lose just as often as they do in basketball. Basketball plays three times the amount of games. So that of course they're going to lose more, but you've got you've got teams that are playing in big bowl games that have lost four and five times. Mm-hmm. Now you take that over a thirty some game schedule, you're talking about double digit losses. Yeah, and uh, and you know that, it, that it's very much the same, but they like to pretend it's different. And I think we have to do that. And I but but because the tournament is such a valuable property, I think we've been reluctant to do that. And uh, and you know. I, I have a lot of things that I think would work, um, but you know I, I don't expect to be named king anytime soon <laughs> and be, be able to get those through. So it's yeah. going to be a while. Well, here in the state of Washington, we're very proud of, of our high school uh, basketball programs. There's been some great players that come out of here in recent years. You've got Gonzaga, who's a perennial top ten team. You got University of Washington, who, who's made huge strides under Coach Mike Hopkins. Um, and then Washington State, Eastern Washington, Seattle, you are, are making some, some trends in the right direction. If you were a, a high school player in the state, how would you look at each of these different programs? Well, that's a, it's a hard thing because, you, you know, you're looking at, at yourself individually and what can I do in my four-year period that's going to be best for me. And so there's always that push-pull. You know, growing up in Los Angeles, I would have loved to have stayed home. 
I would love like I, I I miss California every day. Uh, I live in North Carolina now, um, and you know my wife's an East Coaster, and so we decided to stay East. I got outvoted one to nothing. <laughs> um, but but when I was coming out of high school, UCLA, USC, they just weren't right for me at the time. Mm-hmm. And whether it was the basketball or or, or just the landscape at the time. Uh, Basketball back then in the in the 80s was more of an East Coast-centered game. I think it still is, but less so now. Uh, you know, the Pac-12 is much, much better uh, now than it was then, even though it's, it's struggled the last couple of years. Overall, yeah. it's much better. Um, but I, I think it really comes down, again, to sort of the fit idea. And, you know, where do I want to be? You know, is, is being at home really important to me? Uh, is is playing here, playing there, and putting you know comparing those things, like to me, uh, you know when you look at at a place like Gonzaga, it is you are nobody plays a better non conference schedule than Gonzaga does. I mean look who look who the Zags have played already, but they kind of have to do that because mm-hmm. once they get into West Coast Conference play, uh, now the people around here are, are watching every every second of it, but outside of that. The Zags kind of go into uh, not a blackout period, but sure. their games aren't as as followed. And if it weren't for the fact that they were top ten, you know, and you see their results on SportsCenter, their highlights on SportsCenter, most people wouldn't see them play at all. Mm-hmm. And so the you know the when the games are played, they're usually late night in the East. You're not getting as much of an audience. Like uh, uh, so that that that's part of it. Um, so you factor that stuff in. It depends on what you want. Um, but to me, I would have loved to have stayed home. And this is such a great area. And if you're, I, I would also look at w- where do you think you're going to live? You know, where do you think you're going to live your, your, your later years? Because if, if you want to live here, playing here is an important thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, if, I, if I thought that I was going to live the rest of my life in California, I absolutely would have wanted to stay home. I wasn't sure. And basketball was so important to me. I was going to go where I was going to be happiest. And that's, honestly, Dan, that's where my high school experience, that affected me. Mm -hmm. I wanted to get, like, I wanted so badly to play where I loved it again. And I wasn't, I didn't feel like going to practice. I was, I was going to have to, you know, be dealing with a negative influence of my coach. And so I, I was willing to go across the country to get away from that or go towards something better. And and I don't I wonder what thing what would have happened if I had a great experience with my high school coach. Would that have have uh you know I would I certainly wouldn't have had those scars but would it have meant, you know, I am going to stay home mm-hmm. and um how how would my life have been different? I have no idea. I don't know that it would have been that different, but uh, uh those are all factors in it. And that's why I hate to come back to this sort of I, I think it's a positive message that came out of a negative situation, but it's so important for like high school coaches, parents, um, who cares how many shots your kid gets, you know, it's not, it's not about that. It's about how you handle it. And, you know, I had a thing when I did this AAU stuff where, um, you know, we had great parents, but, and I was lucky because I was, you know, TV boy walking in there and, you know, at least I had a little bit of a reputation. I wasn't like the, the average guy that has to deal with this mm-hmm. nonsense that parents provide so much, so often. But, but I was able to tell all the parents, I'll listen to your, your complaints about playing time. If you don't think your son's playing enough, come to me, mm-hmm. but every other parent's going to be in the room because if you're, 
kid should be playing more. You're telling me to take somebody out. Sure. So we're going to have to talk to the person coming out mm-hmm. and why. Um, you know, and I didn't hear another word. <laughs> and but but now that's not the the experience that everybody has. Yeah. Um, but but who has to? You know, can you imagine like if your kid when I was a, when I was a player and it was because my mom didn't want to listen to it. Uh, it wasn't that she had some advanced you know understanding of basketball. But when I would complain, like I wasn't getting the ball enough, my mom said to me once, you're a big boy. If you want the ball, go get it. <laughs> I love it. And I, I was yeah. like, what? <laughs> my mom just told me to rebound. Yeah. You know, and I, my dad would said that. Maybe I would have com- kept complaining. Uh, but, you know, my dad did the same thing. Like he would I, – I played in a tournament one time in uh, – I was a junior, and, you know, I was already being touted as one of the best players in the country, all this ridiculousness and – Played in this holiday tournament. I was the leading scorer, leading rebounder of the tournament. I played great. My team won the tournament. And I was uh, not named MVP. One of my senior teammates was named MVP, and the, the junior didn't get it. Mm-hmm. And so I, you know, I would clap for my team. I did everything I was supposed yeah. to do. But I'm sitting here dying going, are you kidding me? <laughs> and so we were, I jumped in my parents' car, and we're driving back. And I was in the back seat moaning about, like, are you kidding me? And my dad said, will you shut up? <laughs> and he was like, someday you're going to get an award you have no business getting. You'll be even. Like, who cares? And uh, he goes, you played well. Your team won. What do you want? And, you know, you start thinking about, that's what, that's what I needed to hear at mm-hmm. the time. What do you want? Yeah. Like, so what? You didn't get a trophy that you're not going to keep anyway. Like, I don't have any of those things from my high school. I'm not one. And... All those, all those things that were really fun and meaningful, I don't have any of it. I didn't keep any of it. All I remember are, you know, what you were told, the experiences you had, and what great guys I played with. And I was worried about, you know, why didn't I get this meaningless thing? You know, why didn't I get this plastic trophy that I didn't give a, a hoot about mm-hmm. a week after it was over? Um, we we all spend way too much time worrying about that stuff, but that's where adults, you know, the mature adults can have an impact of that's not important. Here's what's important. And kids need to hear that stuff. They don't want to hear it. I didn't want to hear it, but I remember it, and I'm glad I heard it. Some great messages, Jay. We appreciate you coming to our offices Always. today. Uh, look forward to continuing to follow all your calls on the college basketball season. And uh, for Jay Billis, I'm Dan Dickow for Scorebook Live. The ISO with Dan Dickow and SB Live Sports, brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. When everyone is on the same page, getting things done at work is easy. No matter what you do or what industry you're in, how you communicate is key. Everything you type is equally important to collaboration, and Grammarly can help. Think of it as your AI writing partner, empowering you to communicate effectively and efficiently so you can make a bigger impact in the workplace. 
96% of Grammarly users say it helps them craft more impactful writing. And as the gold standard of responsible AI, Grammarly is your secure AI writing partner that allows your team to make their point and move faster. By understanding your writing and context, Grammarly provides relevant, personalized suggestions. And with tone suggestions, you can navigate even the most difficult work conversations. You can also save time from spending hours editing drafts to just seconds with one click. Sign up and download Grammarly for free at Grammarly.com slash podcast. That's G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y dot com slash podcast. Easier said, done. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.